And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Go, man. Tear it up, dude. You're listening to Here's the Catch with David Lombardi, Matt Barrows, and Dennis Brown on the Athletic Podcast Network. Well, we do not have to beat around the bush anymore. The 49ers are legitimate Super Bowl contenders. They have put it on tape within the context of a game. On Monday night, it was a 38-10 victory over the Arizona Cardinals in Mexico City that was oh so impressive for the 49ers. For the third straight game, they shut out an opponent in the second half. They have now outscored their past three opponents 54-0 in the second half. That's the Rams, the Chargers, and now the Cardinals. And Matt, I think most significantly against Arizona, the 49ers showed that they are a truly balanced offense that can win in a number of different ways. And the story of this game, in my opinion, was the Cardinals showing up, running six down defensive alignment, saying, Jimmy Garoppolo, we dare you to beat us. And the 49ers turned around and passed on 14 of 15 plays, which is unprecedented in the Kyle Shanahan era, to set up a run game in the second half where they ran on seven of eight plays, and the Cardinals couldn't stop any of it. The pass, the run, nothing. The 49ers were in complete control offensively, hence the 38 points. And when you combine that with a defensive effort, all you can say is that this is a two-way team that seems to be starting to round into form at just the right time, and that means that the 49ers are bona fide contenders. Yeah, you know, one of the the hand-wringings that was going on is, uh, boy, uh, the 49ers have all these weapons, but um, how are they going to juggle that? How are they going to feed all these mouths? Is Jimmy Garoppolo able to do that? And, well, uh, against the Cardinals, uh, the answer was absolutely yes. I mean, uh, George Kittle was, was heavily involved, two TDs. Brandon Ayuk was heavily involved, two TDs. Um, Debo Samuel was heavily involved, one really spectacular touchdown. McCaffrey had a lot of runs. Uh, Elijah Mitchell started to take over in that second half. Uh, so uh, that was that's how you draw it up, Dennis. And, and the, early in that fourth quarter, um, they were so dominant that uh, you just sensed the, the Cardinals being demoralized and uh, their tackling got poor. They, they essentially gave up, and, and that's what powerful teams do. Um, I don't know whether the, the thin air, the altitude was, was part of that capitulation by Arizona, but that's the first game where I felt like uh, the opponent uh, just raised a white flag, and, and the 49ers looked very powerful, and to David's point, powerful enough to, uh, to reach the Super Bowl this year. You know, we, we, we talked about this team and we talked about the weapons and, and what was going to happen and, you know, the potential, the the high ceiling. And I think last night we really saw Jimmy Garoppolo play some of his best football. I mean, he, he was on target. He had a couple balls that kind of went high. He tried to force one pass, but he was really able to see the entire field. And we, we know Jimmy Garoppolo is not an off script guy, but that I think it was in the first half that pass to George Kittle where he climbs the pocket and then he, you know, he could have ran the ball, 
tried to get the first down, but he sees he sees the entire field and he sees um, George Kittle kind of break loose uh, behind the the defense and he gets the ball in there. He lays it in there. It's 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 not the perfect ball, but it's it's a catchable ball. And George Kittle does George Kittle and takes it in for the for the touchdown. But you know, I, I got to take my hat my hat off to the offensive line. They kept Jimmy Garoppolo clean. I think this is the second week in a row he's he's had a clean pocket. Uh, blocking downfield, you know, that interior three, those killer bees in the middle there, Aaron Banks. I mean, all those all those guys, they, they, they just played really well last night. And, and the Cardinals, you know, they're a team that's trying to figure it out. They're a team that played the run really well. We knew tight ends could get some, some yards down the field on this team. Ex- uh, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo and, and Kyle Shanahan exposed that early with George Kittle. Brandon IU, two catches, two touchdowns. Nice day at the office. So, you know, this this, this what it, it was a complete win. And and the defense again. I mean, no one's talking about this team is this defense has shut out three NFL uh football teams the last three weeks. And they're playing at a really high level. So it was fun to watch this football game. And and I didn't get the feel of of the Mexico. I mean, they showed it, they showed it in you know, on television, but I didn't really get the feel. I heard it was really loud. The TV didn't do it justice, but it, it looked like it was exciting out there. And it was a ton of 49 fans. Yeah. So I, I posted some video up on Twitter because I obviously was, you know, out and about around the stadium. And one of the reactions I got from people who were watching back home was like, wow, this gives me a completely different perspective because it seemed that the stadium was a bit empty and it was rather quiet on TV. So I think that the broadcast uh, just, Drop the ball in that regard as far as portraying the madhouse that was Estadio Azteca. The first thing that I said when both teams came out and it was just massively loud boos for the quote-unquote home team, the Cardinals, and really, really loud cheers for the 49ers. I I thought that was the loudest I'd ever heard a crowd cheer for the 49ers taking the field. And by decibels, it might have been because they had 95% of the crowd. Uh, That's what I would estimate based on just being at that stadium and hearing that. But the 49ers have never had that big of a crowd in their support playing in a stadium that has an overhang. You know that it, Seattle's so loud because they have an overhang to, to protect from the rain. This stadium in Mexico City had a similar thing, so it reverberates the sound back down. And when the 49ers came out, it like it was ear-splitting noise in this game. It was it was unlike anything they get at, at actual home games at Levi Stadium. And then the boos were so loud for the Cardinals. And what I said was, this is a madhouse. The 49ers can't lose this game. I mean, A, they're favored, but B, they, they just have a college-like, like, raucous environment, you know, in their favor. That This is the game. If they drop this game, they're going to severely regret it. And um, it, what I do regret is is that I, the, the TV broadcast didn't didn't really fully convey that, I guess. But I can assure you guys that, that it was awesome. And Matt, I, I know you had done a game in Mexico City in 2005. Um, I, I don't know what the environment back then was, but the 49ers obviously didn't put together as good of a performance against the Cardinals in that game. Uh, but, but but in this one, uh, the 49ers fans were ready. They they're one of the three teams in Mexico, along with the Steelers and 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 Cowboys, that has a massive following. And it really did turn into a special kind of home game, or at least home field advantage for them. Yeah, that game in 2005. It was before. Uh, the stadium was uh, redone a little bit. So it, it held 103,000 fans. So it was a lot of 
people in that stadium. I don't remember it. I mean, I, I think the 49ers had more fans at that point. I don't remember it being uh, as one-sided as Monday night's game was. Uh, and the 49ers weren't nearly as good. This was 2005. They were coming off a 2 and 14th season. Alex Smith was a rookie. He got into that game. Uh, they just got uh, pushed around that day, and, and the Cardinals actually started gaining fans, I thought, by the end of that game. This was different. I mean, um, I don't know what your estimate is, David. Um, you were saying 95% of the fans, which would uh, be, you know, I don't know, around uh, 72,000. 49ers fans in that stadium last night were for, were cheering for the 49ers. That's that's more than they get at Levi's Stadium, uh, which only holds 68,000, and, and rarely do you see every uh, seat filled up there. So, yeah, I, I can just imagine that the the atmosphere was raucous. David, I wanted to ask you about the uh, the field conditions. I know you were down on the field before the game. Um, and it started raining right at kickoff. Did, did that seem to be an issue with the turf coming up? There, there seemed to be a little bit of uh, slipping going on, uh, on on both sides of the ball. Yeah, there definitely was. And the 49ers probably would have won this game by, by even more had that field been dry. There was a play early on that I thought should have been defensive pass interference because there was a shove there against Juwan Jennings, but but he did appear to either slip or trip on the turf. And then later on, on third and 13, uh, 49ers had a connection dialed up from Garoppolo to Brandon Ayuk, but Brandon Ayuk just kind of slipped coming out of his break. So that did affect the, the 49ers in this game negatively, and I, I think a couple Cardinals players slipped as well. But let's be honest, turf gets wet anywhere. Uh, that's even back in the, the U.S. If, if it's raining, as it was, not all too much, but start of the game saw some rain uh, when you have those kind of conditions some you know it's just going to get slipperier and I was down on the field it seemed to be in decent condition I talked to a couple of the players about it after and they said yeah start to give a little bit when it, it did get wet but I think it was Nick Bosa who said I'll take that over artificial turf any day <laughs> so I would give the turf a good B yesterday a, a B grade it was good it wasn't great but it wasn't bad and the 49ers are Again, they, they reported no injuries after the game. We're going to talk to Kyle Shanahan a little bit later uh, about this to see if there indeed were no injuries because there was some confusion about a potential Charvarius Ward groin injury and then he returned and then something uh, with Jimmy Ward. But Kyle Shanahan came up to the lectern after and said no injuries. And if that holds, oh boy, the 49ers, their health luck has definitely take a, taken a turn for the better here over the past few weeks. Yeah, that would be three in a row where they came with, with no uh, with no injuries. That's uh, that's something for the 49ers. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and, you know, with these last, what, seven games left, I mean, you, you talk about in a good position. I mean, you know, with, with even, you know, the way the scheduling goes, I think you what you get three games here at home, then you have to you have to go on the road. But it's I think it's Las Vegas. So you stay on the West Coast. So, you know, the 49ers sit in, in first place, right? They're, they're tied with Seattle. They've, they've got the tiebreaker. Um, you play the Cardinals again, and then you play in Seattle. So, I mean, you stay on the West Coast, and, you, and, it's, and if you can stay healthy, I mean, it looks good for this team if you really look at it moving forward. It, it just sets up really well. But you, if you can stay healthy and you can play at the level that the 49ers are playing at now – I mean, we're talking, I mean, we're going to have to, you know, whatever whatever plans we have for the first of the year, we may have to postpone it because these cats could go pretty deep in the playoffs. Absolutely. It's, it takes two-way football to 
survive deep into January, and the 49ers are displaying that two-way football. If you guys want to look at the efficiency stats, I know I bring these up a lot, but ever since they picked up Christian McCaffrey, when I think you know that Chiefs game obviously wasn't the best showing for the 49ers. The defense really struggled there, but they started to put everything together in Week 9. But even including that Week 8 game against the Chiefs, the 49ers are a top five team, both offensively and defensively, when you look at the DVOA efficiency. And I think, you know, when we zero in on the offense, the 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 transformation has been even more radical thanks to McCaffrey's presence. Before they had him, the 49ers were ranked number nine pass DVOA, number 26 run DVOA, right? We talked about this a lot on the podcast, totally imbalanced. Uh, that wasn't going to get it done, especially since Kyle Shanahan likes to run so much. That rushing efficiency needed to be better. Well, since picking up Christian McCaffrey, they're number two in pass and number six in run. So from nine and twenty-six to two and six, and they've gone from mediocre on the aggregate offensively, maybe maybe slightly above average, to elite. Right? Oh, here over the past few games with Christian McCaffrey and Matt, when you watch how the 49ers offense operates it's it's obvious how they've made this this stride Christian McCaffrey is just such a devastating weapon he was out in the slot for a lot of the game yesterday he beats anybody that he lines up against uh in in route running in the slot and obviously he goes into the backfield and also gives the 49ers a nice push and yesterday they uh yesterday they passed to set up the run 14 out of 15 plays were passes and then like i said seven out of eight runs to open that second half really just finished off the cardinals so mccaffrey has been the game changer that the 49ers have needed jimmy garoppolo has benefited big time from it and garoppolo through those four touchdown passes yesterday is just doing a masterful job at leveraging all the weapons that he now has. And they were good on the outside runs. That was an issue um, uh, up, up to uh, Monday's game is that they hadn't been able to really get those uh, big chunk runs that they rely on on offense. And they got uh, they got one from uh, Christian McCaffrey early. They got one from uh, Debo Samuel on the touchdown. They got one from Elijah Mitchell late. Uh, big chunk runs down the sideline. They were all to the left side. <laughs> And for that, uh, I think we need to congratulate uh, Twitter and social media because I think they pissed off Trent Williams into having the best game of the season. Um, uh, Dennis, I don't know whether you caught this, but there was a lot of uh, chatter about Trent Williams tipping plays, uh, his his outside foot uh, supposedly telling defenses whether the play was going to be a, a run or a pass. And this was uh, something that David and I talked to uh, Williams about uh, after week one, and he was uh, pretty um, hot and bothered, I I thought, David, at that point when we talked to him. He was even more so uh, in uh, Colorado Springs at the Air Force Academy when we brought it up again. And his point was, uh, yeah, so what? Um, You know, we still have so many variations of runs. Even if you know it's a run, you don't know what kind of run it's going to be. And uh, I thought that Trent Williams was just excellent, especially in the run game. He was taking out uh, Buda Baker. He was taking out, you know, one, two defensive backs on a play. I mean, uh, to have a 335-pound guy run down the field 20 yards away and take out a 185-pound defensive back, I mean, that's just agility that you don't you don't see. It's uncommon. But, but Dennis, I wanted to ask you, in, in your playing days— 
Did you guys try to look for tips, tells from offensive linemen that told you whether it was going to be a, a run or a pass? And if, if you did, did you feel like that was, uh, that was a win that was important for the defense? I'll let you guys in on something. Offensive linemen always tip what the plays are. And the reason why, <laughs> the reason why they get pissed off because they think they're, they're doing such a good job of not showing it. Now, one thing that you do as a defensive lineman, you watch film, and there's always there's always tips. There's, I mean, it's run and pass. Now, you figure out the run by the formation, the backfield formation. That's what, when we talk about being in the film, doing your film study and, and, and studying formation, study tendencies of an offensive line. Um, because he'll give it out. He'll give it away every time. All the great run defenders, defensive linemen, they do film study. Charles Haley would study one play over and over and over and over again until he understood what they were going to run. Charles Haley could sit at the line of scrimmage and he would tell the defensive line what the play was. So offensive linemen always tip. I mean, it's it, they're, 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 that's nothing new in the world. Uh, they always tip the play, run, and pass. It's just the fact, like he said, you have to figure out what the what the uh, what the play is, what the run play is, or what the pass play is. If he's going to short set set, or if he's going to open up. So you know they always tip it. It's just offensive linemen get pissed off because they think they're doing such a good job of hiding it. That's why he's pissed off because he knows he he gives it up. But he's right. I mean, yeah, you can tell run and pass, but you have to figure out what the pass is or what the run is. So yep. you know that's your film study, and I'm telling you. They always give it out. And Charles Haley was great at it. Uh, Ricky Jackson was great at it by telling you what the play is by, by the formation. I mean, the formation is really going to give it up. But the offensive linemen, they're always going to tip because they're offensive linemen. That's why. They don't understand that us defensive <laughs> linemen, we're a degree smarter and we can figure it out. But, yeah. But the reason why he gets pissed off is because he thinks he's doing a good job of concealing it. Exactly. I think I think both of you guys are are correct in in this assess, in this assessment. I talked to to Trent about it yesterday after the game. Everybody was in a really good mood in the 49ers locker room, by the way, <laughs> after that one. But you know what really I think bothered him was that these people get on Twitter and they just act like know-it-alls. They'll go, oh, he's tipping, run, and pass. I figured out the code. <laughs> when it's so much more complicated than that. Uh, like D Dennis was just saying, it's not, yes, he might be tipping, run, or pass, but there are 55 different runs and 100 different passes, and it's not that useful for the defense if all that they know is run or pass. They need to know exactly what kind of run it's going to be or exactly what kind of pass it's going to be or at least in general what the play is going to be to glean any sort of advantage from that. And that's what Trent Williams pointed out again to me yesterday was that, I mean, there's so many more variables than the ones that are just presented in viral tweets on Twitter that don't really capture how you know, complex all of this is. And I think, you know, you just look at results in a situation like this. If Trent Williams were really doing something damaging, then the the 49ers offense wouldn't have been producing. And they had they had been producing, right? They they had been efficient throughout this season. It was the red zone where they were dropping passes, not capitalizing on certain opportunities that had been holding this offense back. But Trent Williams was playing really good football prior to this game. He played excellent football in this game. And the 49ers offense was 
showing real good signs of life prior to this game, and they roared fully to life in this game against the Cardinals. So uh, I don't think they were doing anything that was selling away state secrets to the level that other teams were, were derailing them, Matt. Yeah, and um, the guy that brought this up in week one was uh, the Bears rookie defensive lineman Dominique Robinson, who told a reporter, you know, he, he had a sack in that game. Um, he, uh, uh, Williams was blocking him on the sack, and he told a reporter that, yeah, he knew it was going to be a run because what Williams did with his, uh, his outside leg, his left leg before the play. But it, it also was a third and five situation. So, you know, not only did Dominique Robinson know that it was going to be a pass, uh, the whole stadium knew it was going to be a pass. It, it, it wasn't quite the uh, the sleuthing that uh, uh, that Dominique Robinson seemed to suggest it was. And also uh, on the play, uh, Trey Lance didn't find anybody open, and he started to kind of vacate the pocket, and he ran right into Robinson. So it's not like Robinson beat Williams. And I think that's why when we spoke to him, you know, back in September, David, he seemed uh, a little hot and bothered by it because it's not like uh, Dominique uh, Robinson dominated Trent Williams in that game. He got lucky on the sack. So, uh, you know, uh, it, it must be hard for poor Trent Williams to deal with that kind of criticism. Do you remember that he pretended not to know who Dominique Robinson was? Yes. When asked him? <laughs> the ultimate, really uh, who, who's that? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, it, was the, it, it reminded me of uh, Aaron Donald and Debo Samuel. Yeah, Because obviously Aaron Donald knew who Debo Samuel was, but uh, for some reason, I, I guess maybe he was trying to get in the 49ers' heads back in 2020 when he pretended that he didn't know Debo was. I, I do think that Donald regrets uh, saying that at the press conference, given the damage that Debo Samuel's done against them since then. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. 
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I love the fact you guys kind of kind of tee. I mean, you know, you you talk to a guy who you know after a football game and he's, you know, he's probably already upset because you lost to a team you're supposed to win to, and then you kind of poke him a little bit. You know, <laughs> I mean, I think that's that's pretty bold of you guys. To this do was that. this uh, was no, a no. few days. This after. is after, yeah. It yeah. was during the week, and, and you know, it, it says, still so, hurts. It still hurts. No, 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 no. So, so here, let, 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 let me set the record straight, so you don't think that we're just those reporters going around trying to burn people. Um, there was a massive scrum around Trent Williams after week one doing the the regular Q and A. And Matt and I said, you know, what Dominique Robinson said was interesting to us. So we wanted to ask Trent about it, but we didn't want to put him on blast with all the cameras in his face about it. So what we did is we waited for the scrum to leave and then we just started talking to him, you know, more casually about that situation. So um, it, it just like kind of this is interesting, I think, probably for some listeners, if they want to know how locker room dynamics work. And Dennis, you could probably speak to this because the media was in the locker room during your time with the 49ers. Uh, when there is a more like sensitive kind of game planning question that you want to get from a player, I'm sure the player appreciates when uh, a reporter doesn't doesn't try to bring up some of the, this more secretive stuff with with 85 cameras in his face. Right. Yeah. And that is appreciated. Um, but you know, it's, it's always, you know, to me, it's always interesting how, how the locker room done. I mean, you, you kind of have to talk to, to, to reporters, but some reporters seem to be a little more pushy, you know, because you kind of want that, that story and, 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 you know, you want that, you know, whatever that headlines is been, and we have to always as athletes be cautious because some of that stuff ends up in other locker rooms. So it's, it's always that dynamic, like you said, is always interesting to me. Uh, especially when I was in the league. It's just it's just interesting how you kind of have to watch what you say and what you say to people. And we should note that uh, Trent Williams has won our, our Good Guy Award two years straight. Um, he's just uh, a really uh, sort of perfect guy to interview because he, he's not scared to say anything. I mean, he, he's, he's going to make the Pro Bowl. Uh, so he's not walking on eggshells, uh, you know, trying to, uh, you know, uh, please the coaches with what he says. Um, every response out of his mouth is, is very thoughtful. Um, and uh, so we sort of uh, kind of treat him with uh, uh, due respect because of that. Um, uh, I should note that he, he was tied, I think, last year, David, with Jimmy Garoppolo for the Media Good Guy Award, which is, you know, the, 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 basically the, the player who's most helpful. I mean, to me, my criteria is, do I end up quoting this guy a lot in my stories? And uh, every time uh, Trent Williams opens his mouth, uh, it's valuable stuff. You, you actually learn something uh, when, when he's speaking. So uh, he's got a lot of uh, respect from the, uh, the reporters because of that. Let me ask you guys this. Who's the, who's the, who's the guy that you, you most dislike talking to in the locker room? There's got to be one. <laughs> Oh, current or uh, uh, career? <laughs> no, no. How, how about how about both? Yeah, how about both? Well, Debo is difficult because Debo will get Debo's Debo, and Debo will get in the mood, and Debo will not have any time for you, and he'll get cranky and storm off, and um, <laughs> you got to get Debo at the right moments. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm not saying right. I don't like him, but he's you got to use. Uh, 
uh, judgment and tact when talking to, to Debo Samuel. So yeah. he, of the current one, I'd say he's the most difficult guy to, to interview. And I will say, though, when you do get him in the right moment, usually, you know, high off of the adrenaline of a big win. I still remember after the Seattle game that they won there to close the 2019 regular season. Uh, Debo, Debo will be really good, but he definitely is one of those guys that you have to time up, time up correctly. So I would share Matt's answer with that one. As far as uh, the best, I think, Kyle Juszczyk and Trent Williams. If you ever want to just go and be a sponge and, and learn about football, just go to talk to one of those two guys. I mean, the, the football would just come pouring out of them. You, you talk to them, and it, but just strategy, X's and O's, philosophy. Richard Sherman was the same way back yeah. when he was with the 49ers. You'd go up there and you'd learn, you know? Yeah. And all these guys, they're going to be future executives in the league. Kyle Juszczyk, if they want to be, right? If they want to do it, then Kyle Juszczyk is going to be a GM. Trent Williams is going to be a GM. Richard Sherman, if he does, Richard Sherman might want to do the media route instead, but uh, he could be a GM in the future. That they, well, it, I think it's impressive on a player who's you know on the ground floor, fighting day in day out, doing all the physical stuff necessary to play. I think it's impressive when a player sees the big picture, yeah. and all of those guys that I just mentioned really, really see the big picture. And it's a it's a great locker room overall. I mean. Um... For the last, uh, I don't know, four or five years, it's been sensational. Uh, I thought that uh, Joe Staley really kind of set the tone there, um, just a, from camaraderie and professionalism. And uh, I think he's p- passed that along to uh, George Kittle and to Mike McGlinchey and, and Trent Williams, uh, as we noted, has been uh, a really nice fit. Um, you know, Christian McCaffrey's in that vein now. Uh, so, uh, very, very easy locker room to cover, I would say. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I just, I mean, we're, we're getting kind of away from the game, but I'm just wondering, what did you guys think of, now the game is over, Charvarius Ward said something after the game that, you know, when he went down, it wasn't because of an injury, it was because he was tired. And I know he didn't practice in Colorado and, you know, he birth of his daughter. Um, but how much of that, you know, the trip to Colorado, get used to the atmosphere, and then going to Mexico City, all that moving around, do you see it, it showed in the football game? Do you think it was an advantage or it was just yeah. kind of an opportunity for the team to get together? No, absolutely. Everybody that I talked to, Nick Bosa being the most prominent player, said that the altitude was real, that people yeah. were sucking wind. You're not going to avoid sucking wind when you're playing at 7,000-plus feet, but what happens is if you're a bit acclimated – to it if you have a few more red blood cells like the 49ers hope that they were able to develop over in um in colorado you hit that second wind quicker and i don't think the cardinals didn't do any of that right and it like matt said the cardinals quit if you look at george kittle's touchdown in the second half there are three defenders who just decide not to tackle him they just quit (laughs) yeah and uh and to me it showed up on the stat sheet it showed up on the tape uh, w- one of these teams was definitely better prepared for the altitude than than the other one. Now, with the Charvarius Ward situation, that to me uh, was a little bit fishy because the 49ers tweeted out after that happened that he had suffered a groin injury, their official account, and the 49ers retracted that today. Today they said no, uh, it, it actually wasn't, a, that, that was a mistake. It wasn't a groin injury. But I thought that I saw Charvarius Ward limping, Matt, 
uh, I, you know, I don't, maybe he was just so gassed that, that there was a little bit of a limp as he was walking off the field. But, um, and I don't know why they would tweet out that it was a groin injury when there actually wasn't a groin injury. I think they said they misheard or there was a, something was lost in translation there. But at the end of the day, Kyle Shanahan said no injury suffered in the game. So maybe we'll get some more details from him on his conference call. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. I mean, I think there was definitely cramping. I mean, we saw that with uh, Debo Samuel, maybe Jimmy Ward. Uh, again, that's a little murky. Ward uh, left the game, what was it, the third quarter and, and never came back in. Um, and so uh, uh, Womack ended up playing a lot of nickel in the game. But, yeah, I remember the play that you're talking about with Charvarius Ward. He he got away with a late hit. He, he shoved uh, DeAndre Hopkins into a, a cameraman. Hopkins was asking for... A penalty, and as Ward was kind of coming back, there was a uh, a, a slight limp in his gait a little bit. Um, someone said, I think on the radio broadcast, I don't know if it was uh, Tim Ryan or, or Greg Papa, said that he might have uh, sprained an ankle early in the game, and that's why he came out initially. Um, I don't know. I mean, to me, the big question now, obviously, is how does this affect them for the upcoming Saints game? Because... Um, uh, you know, long trip, week week long stay over. We we've talked about this. They're they're not good in the game after the the week long stay over. I think they're one and four in the last uh, three seasons in that scenario. Um, the the most recent being their shellacking at the hands of the Chiefs. I'm sure the Chiefs' talent had a lot to do with that. But I, I think uh, you know just the the kind of uh, the, the toll that uh, spending a week away from home takes and it was a toll in Colorado it was freezing cold one day they played indoors two days um it seemed to me like Samson Ebucom was was trending toward playing in this game and then he didn't I don't know whether that was related to him playing on the turf remember it was turf that sort of uh exacerbated a, a, an Achilles tendonitis issue that he's dealing with so they ended up uh practicing twice on turf they hate practicing on turf Turf is their devil. Um, so I don't know. We'll, we'll try to get these answers out of Kyle Shanahan um, on the, in, in the Monday afternoon uh, or Tuesday afternoon, sorry, press conference. But, uh, yeah, that, it was a little bit murky um, injury-wise coming out of that game. But uh, I think, like I said, the big question is how do they react to Saints game? Uh, short week, Thanksgiving. Uh, there are a lot of variables here that they've got to deal with. Yeah, and, you know, the Saints is one of those those football teams that, you know, can really jump on you. I mean, you know, Andy Dalton's quarterback now, but you got Kamara, uh, you have a strong defense, uh, and you got this Hill kid. I mean, you don't know what he can do with, or how they kind of game plan with him. So, I mean, you got to – I mean – we talk about the way it lays out, but you've got some tough games still. I mean, you're going to be home. You're going to be on the West Coast. You don't have to travel for a while, but you got some tough games. You got the Miami game. You got Tom Brady coming in, and you got New Orleans this week. So, you know, you now you got to get it to this momentum. Three games. I think it's been a while since the 49ers have won three games in a row. But now you got to take this momentum, uh, and then you got to bring it back to the Levi Stadium, and you got to you got to ride it a little bit. You have to whatever it was you did. I, I still think you know, even though Colorado was cold and you didn't really practice and you weren't able to to get some you know good quality. I'm sure it was quality practice, but I think it, the best part about it is you're able to get together with your group, your team for that week. 
and then just kind of think football and get back in that football mind to finish up the season. So you got to ride this momentum and then you got to bring it back and you got this three, these three games at home and you got to win these football games. Uh, you know, you're in first place now. You have an opportunity, you know, to, to set up the, at least to win your division. But these games are important. Here's where you start kind of kind of kind of kind of, you know, getting some wins under your belt. I mean, you've got these three. If you can just ride this and get, you know, these three more. And then you go in, you got to play the Cardinals in, in Seattle. So it sets up really well, but you got to ride this momentum. And it's a tough team coming in. It was funny. I was talking for a while with, with Trent Williams yesterday, and then our conversation turned to Thanksgiving because Kyle Shanahan had expressed concern in his postgame press conference that the 49ers will, will come out flat next week. He, he said, hey, we're going to be on a short week. We're taking a long flight home to start the short week, and then there's Thanksgiving, so that's going to throw off some rhythm. We're coming off, obviously, a big emotional win. Shanahan legitimately said uh, that energy and making sure that, that that level is correct, is at, at a spot where it needs to be to win, that's going to be a priority this week. And I mentioned that to Trent, and Trent Williams said, you know, that that is a concern based on his experience in the NFL. But he also mentioned that the, the Saints have a lot of big-time players that, at least for him, uh, th- that that's something that, that will allow him to get up for the game, that will allow him to mentally dig in and be ready to go. And he said that's how NFL players think. They see some recognizable star power on the other side of the football, and that gets them going. I think a lot of fans discount a team like the Saints right now because Andy Dalton's their quarterback, and obviously they haven't had the best year. But Trent Williams was not thinking in that way. He was thinking in a way that was very, very reverential, respectful of of who the Saints have coming in. So we'll see if the 49ers are able to, to bounce back quickly from this game just because it was a tiring trip to Colorado and then to Mexico City, and it's going to be a short week. But at least as far as Trent Williams is concerned, he thinks that they're going to be ready. And then after that, the Dolphins are coming in. And the 49ers will be favored against the Saints. Uh, I'm sure they are favored against the Saints. I'm sure that line is already out. I don't know what the the line is going to be against the Dolphins, though, because that's been the number one offense in football this year. Mike McDaniel's doing a hell of a job. It's a really good team in Miami. That, to me, is going to be a battle, right? And then you talk about Tampa Bay after that. That projects to be a battle as well. And then Seattle. I mean, boy, there's a lot of fun football coming up, Matt. And... Uh, the 49ers just have to stack as many wins as possible because the, the road does get tougher as this progresses. Yeah, and I wonder whether this three-game stretch at Levi's, they love the Levi's surface, they're at home, whether this is finally the stretch where we see Javon Kinlaw and Eric Armstead come back into the fold. Um, I didn't see uh, – Kinlaw didn't make the trip at all, Dennis, to Colorado. They were very leery about plane flights and swelling and – um, you know, playing at altitude and swelling. So he was he stayed behind in Santa Clara the whole time and, and rehabbed that knee. Uh, Armstead did make the trip. I saw him um, in a training room one day. I never saw him on the field, uh, but uh, I, I think we've talked about this in the past. This seems like the stretch of games where, okay, get, get these guys back on the field, maybe don't go uh, all out or early on, sort of uh, ramp them up. Uh, because, you know, if, if there's a weakness on this defense, and uh, it really didn't manifest itself uh, uh, Monday in Mexico City, because I think Kevin Givens played uh, really well, 
but it has at times over the past month, month and a half, it's that interior line. Um, and uh, if you can get those two guys back to, to full health, boy, now we're talking about a really, truly dominant defense going down the home stretch. Yeah, and, you know, my, my big concern with this game was that, you know, Arizona started off that, that, that tempo. They, they weren't huddling up. They're getting right to the ball, right to the line of scrimmage. And I was thinking, woo, I mean, those guys in the middle there, you know, they're not getting many, many, uh, many breaks. You know, fourth quarter – they're going to be pooped, and I think I think Arizona had that had that mindset like we're going to wear this this front down and then just run the football, and they did they did a really good job I think in the first quarter at least, but then the the tides kind of kind of changed a little bit, and the the defensive line really started getting after it, and, and in the second half you started getting hits on the quarterback, uh, and I know Colt McCoy had a fantastic game against the 49ers. Uh, the last time he faced him, but not 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 Monday night, not last night. This defensive line started getting some hits on him. I think coverage, he was confused with the coverage a little bit. He had that one interception, and I think after that, it was game over. Uh, you know, Nick Bosa gets a sack. Uh, Kevin Givens busts through the line and just smacks him, and I, and I think it was a done deal. So this defensive line showed me a lot last night, and the, the interior, Kevin Givens, showed me a lot. These guys, they started off the game with tempo, but they they fought through it, uh, and in the end, they found that second win. Or maybe that's why you know you go to Colorado and get kind of acclimated a little bit to the altitude. But they found that second win, and they got after the quarterback, and and, and the coverage showed, or the coverage was sticky, and. Um, you get another shutout in the second half of an NFL football team. It's super impressive. And then on the offensive end, I mean, we we opened the show with this, but let's delve a little bit further into it. Uh, the 49ers are looking strong. One more Trent Williams thought, just because he had a lot of good ones yesterday. He said that it, it's seldom that you get into the huddle and you look around and you see all 11 guys and you say, wow, there's not a weakness here. And Trent Williams said that about the 49ers offense yesterday. He said that there, there's there's not a weakness here. And he was sitting right next to Spencer Burford and in the locker room. And he said, you know, Spencer Burford, he's, he's a rookie here. He's a player that you'd expect to be a true weak link just because he has so little experience. But he honestly should have been a first-round pick. That's what Williams said about Burford. And uh, there are 14 guards in the NFL, guys, this year that have yet to give up a sack. Two of those guards are Aaron Banks and Spencer Burford. And Daniel Brunskill's obviously rotating with Burford. He's also playing really well. We talk about Trent Williams running over Buda Baker and making excellent blocks in space downfield. Well, Jake Brendel, the 49ers center, was 35 yards ahead of the play, uh, or ahead of the line of scrimmage, not the play, 35 yards downfield on Debo Samuel's touchdown run, and he flattened Buda Baker in the open field. And Brendel's a guy who came out of UCLA several years ago with an awesome athleticism score, and you know we figured he'd be a really good run blocker in Shanahan's scheme because of his athleticism. But ironically, he had been a better pass blocker than a run blocker up until yesterday. Yesterday, we finally saw both, right? We saw excellent pass protection, which is something that's really been developing for the 49ers over the course of this year. That's been a huge story that that guard position, that center position has held up. A lot of people thought it'd be big trouble when they lost Lakin Tomlinson and when Alex, Mack, when, when Alex Mack decided to retire. That hasn't been the case. But B, Matt, they were able to combine that good pass protection with some of those truly wow run blocks downfield. And I think that's symbolic of a balanced offense. 
an offense that can beat you in the pass and in the run, and that's why they put up 38 points. Yeah, that Brendel block reminded me of the, the, the famous Joe Staley block in the 2011 uh, divisional playoff game against the Saints where uh, Staley just cut down a, a Saints DB, I forget where it was, the five-yard line, to get Alex Smith into the end zone late in that game. I mean, that's how far away Brendel was. And uh, like I said earlier, you know, when you're 300 plus pounds and you're able to kind of take out uh, a much smaller, quicker guy, that uh, that that shows something. Um, and um, I, I remember Burford, I can't remember which play it was, but Burford and um, and Williams teamed up for really nice downfield blocks on one of the the long gains or one of the, the touchdowns to the left side, Burford coming across from his right guard spot early in the game. Um, you know, Burford and, and Banks are, are simply, um, you know, better athletes. Burford is a better athlete than anybody that they've had at that right guard spot since Kyle Shanahan arrived. I mean, this is a, a, a college tackle. He's got long tackle-like arms, um, he's smart. He's physical. Um, so, I mean, I, I just feel like uh, and, and people are kind of upset that he has to um, rotate in with Daniel Brunskill every so often. But uh, I just think that the sky's the limit for him and that the, the 49ers are going about it the right way. Um, they're giving him lots of snaps, giving him lots of starts, uh, but they're also kind of uh, teaching him along the way and giving him um, respites, you know, chances to kind of recover, chances to watch what Brunskill, the, you know, the more experienced but not as athletic um, uh, alternate is doing. And, and I think that's going to pay dividends down the road. I mean, they were very cautious, obviously, last year with Banks, and that's paid off. Uh, they're not quite as cautious this year with Burford, but um, I, I think the, the future is bright. Among as Dave, as Dennis just uh, named them among the uh, the killer bees in the middle of that line. Yeah, and I, I was impressed. I mean, first of all, I'm always impressed an offensive lineman can get to the third level during a during a play on a football field. That shows a lot of athletes athleticism and quickness to get down the field. But on that on that Debo in and around uh, to see an offensive lineman down the field. Now, if you get downfield. Uh, it, it, the challenge is trying to get a hold of one of these defensive backs and 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 to see see if you can throw a block. So to see an offensive lineman, right, and and that just shows the dedication and 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 that and that will that you know we we got to score a touchdown, we got to push it in the end zone. And again, the 49ers were great in the red zone. And then whenever they get in the red zone, I start worrying that you're going to see Robbie Gold come on and kick a field goal. But last night, they were fantastic in the red zone. It was because of of offensive line play. And again, Aaron Banks has become, you know, even better than anybody's even thought. I mean, he's got to be one of the better offensive guards in the National Football League. So, and and they're just getting better. And it just reps. You know, it, it's just reps in, reps out. And then they start playing as a unit. And that's what it looked like last night. And I, and I thought this was a pretty good Cardinals defensive line. But they kind of, they kind of weared, weared them down, warmed down. Uh, and then in the fourth quarter, they just knocked them out and they won the line of scrimmage and games are won on the line of scrimmage. That's the bottom line. And the 49ers dominated the line of scrimmage last night. And then obviously, the can I put a bow on all this? Jimmy Garoppolo uh, was excellent and he's been 
I mean, he's he's building, right? It's It's been cool to see the full progression of this season. Dating back to when he took over for Trey Lance in week two, I still remember our conversation after the game, and then he he I was shocked, but he he repeated that stuff at at the post game press conference. He put it all out on the record. He said that uh, sometimes an offense has got to pass a little bit more, even though we like to do things uh, through running uh, a, a lot here. And it, it was I thought a very honest reflection of the dynamic between Jimmy Garoppolo and Kyle Shanahan. Shanahan obviously loves to run the football. Garoppolo, I think if he had it his way, he would just sit back in the shotgun, spread out all the weapons and fire the football downfield all game. The fact that Garoppolo and Shanahan have come from where they were this offseason, which was Garoppolo not even allowed to practice with the 49ers because they were trying to trade him in training camp, uh, to, to where they are now, and I think we saw it yesterday, a very nice meld of uh, you, you know quarterback's preferences and coach's preferences. The 49ers found a way to take Jimmy Garoppolo's preferences and strengths and Kyle Shanahan's desires to, to, to run a ton, and they found a way to incorporate them into the same game plan to beat the Cardinals when the Cardinals were going heavy against the run, and then to be able to switch it up when, when Arizona was doing the opposite. I thought, Matt, that was a great example of quarterback play caller cohesion being on the same page. And if you notice, Jimmy Garoppolo in his post-game press conference said that he really likes where he and Kyle are right now. He said that it's hard to you know install a, a the complicated offense in the NFL but it's harder for defenses to guard it when you do install it properly and then he added that one crowning line and and I made sure to close my article with it cuz I thought it was so important. He said that he likes where he and Kyle are right now uh, as far as that cohesion goes. And when you look at the totality of this journey so far from not starting to taking over for Trey Lance to obviously wanting to throw the ball a little bit more, to seeing 14 out of 15 pass plays yesterday set up the run. Uh, you, you have to, you know, that's eye-opening stuff for, for the 49ers because it does really seem that Shanahan's trust in Garoppolo is growing, and so far he's been rewarded for that. Yeah, and, and um, part of that is the McCaffrey effect. I mean, uh, here's a guy that runs and uh, catches passes equally well, and, and you see that in how they're using him. Sometimes he's in the backfield. Sometimes Debo Samuel's in the backfield and McCaffrey's at wide receiver. I mean, just uh, to kind of speak to that evenness with McCaffrey, he had seven carries for 39 yards and he had seven catches for 67. I mean, <laughs> guys, even Steven, he plays, uh, he, he plays both equally well. And um, to your point, um, I think he's reminiscent of some of the guys that um, Garoppolo came up in, came up with in this league in New England. Uh, remember, he played a very kind of uh, open, pass-centric offense at Eastern Illinois, and then uh, they play the kind of the short, quick passing game in New England. A lot of shotgun stuff. So um, you know, when McCaffrey's on the field, uh, there there's a definite comfort zone for Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, you know, uh, you know, they they were very much on the same page in this game, um, and and the same with Kittle, and the same with with Debo Samuel. I mean, what I noticed was that they're using McCaffrey as a as a decoy on a lot of plays too. Uh, McCaffrey goes out, uh, motions out of the backfield, and um, half the defense uh, kind of steps in his direction, which means that uh, there's a ton of space open for 
um, George Kittle on the on the on the fourth quarter touchdown. There was a sort of a misdirection uh, screenplay to Debo Samuel in, in that uh, in that vein. So, um, like like we said last week, this is something that Kyle Shanahan is definitely going to build on because each time uh, they have a game and uh, stuff comes on field uh, on film rather. Um, they, they're able to kind of use that to kind of trick the defense into doing some other things. So um, that, that's why the, this home stretch dentist looks so bright. There's still a lot of meat left on that bone for the 49ers to uh, consume. Yeah, isn't it amazing one player can change the whole scheme or the whole attitude uh, as far as your offense? I mean, Christian McCaffrey is a unique player, but it's amazing just how this offense, I mean, this offense was struggling. I mean, that before that, you know, th- that uh, Kansas City game was, you know, was, 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 was tough. But now, you know, these last two weeks, it just looks like, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo has found his spark. I mean, just one player can change the dynamic of an entire offense. It, it's, it's just, it's just incredible. And I think, these last couple games, you've seen Kyle Shanahan really get into his playbook uh, and figure out how to, you know, how to use this one player, like you said, as a decoy. But when he gets the ball, I mean, it's positive yards. So, I mean, that that trade just looks it just looks incredible right now because you know these last couple games, this offense has been on track. They've been efficient. Um, you know, third downs weren't so good beginning of the football game, but then they they get on track. And Kyle Shanahan, you know, last week you see he can run the ball. He's going to run the ball 40 times. This week he sees he can pass the ball against his defense, and he passes the ball, and he's got that check down. And Jimmy Garoppolo seen the entire football field. So it's just amazing to me how one, one player can change the dynamic of an offense and a head coach. Yeah, and, you know, it's all connected with complementary football, so I don't think it's a coincidence that ever since McCaffrey has showed up, but the defense is playing better. The offense is uh, – we, we talked about the efficiency number for the offense skyrocketing, but the 49ers are top five across the board. It's number two offense, number four defense, number 11 special teams in DVOA since week eight. Uh, and th- that includes the Kansas City game where the defense just got absolutely roasted. But it's looking more and more like an outlier. And obviously playing Kansas City is an outlier. The Chiefs themselves are, are outliers with how good that offense is. However, the 49ers may have to beat them again, and they would certainly like yeah. that opportunity. So um, that's something that they have to continue to build toward. Defense still has to get a little bit better. Even the offense was talking about leaving some meat on the bone in this game yesterday. Uh, so that's, I think, if you're the 49ers, the mentality that you, you like to see, right? You want to keep on progressing forward. All right, guys. This is fun. Um, Mexico City was fun as well. I can report that the tacos here were Mm. everything they're made out to be. I (laughs) I ate really well. Probably go get some more on my way to the airport. Then I'll be tacoed out for a little while. But uh, hell of a scene in Mexico City. And uh, it definitely seems like the 49ers have have taken over the the, the football fans in the country here. I'm sure there's plenty of Cowboys and Steelers fans too. But uh, probably many more uh, 49ers fans here in Mexico than there were at the start of the week based on that performance. Anything else, guys? Did we cover everything? I think we got it all. We got it all. Safe travels for sure, right? Yeah, thanks. I'm hopping on the direct uh, to SFO. I'm going to fly Aero Mexico this time. We'll see how, nice. how that is. Either United or Aero Mexico. So I'm going to try Aero Mexico a little bit later this afternoon. All right, cool. For Dennis Brown, Matt Barrows, this is David Lombardi. We will talk to you next time as the 49ers 
move on to face the New Orleans Saints.